Welcome to Lesson 10 of Christ Community Church and the Exploring Christ Community Church New Members class entitled Servanthood. Um, let's look at God's Word in Mark 10.45 where it says about Jesus, He came not to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this final session here on servanthood, and I pray that you would make us your servants, Lord. Make us your servants to be used of you in our lifetimes for your glory, and that we would bear much fruit for the glory of your name. Use us as a local church, Lord God, that we would be filled with servants, Lord God, that would be greatly used to proclaim the gospel and to build each other up so that we would be strong in you and glorify your name. Amen. Amen. In God's kingdom, serving is not something that we do on occasion. It's a way of life. All God's people are called upon to, and and they're gifted, to follow the example of Jesus who came, not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. In this lesson, we'll identify the qualities that will make us effective servants and explore some of the ways that we can serve here in the local church. This quote by Jerry Bridges is wonderful. Fellowship involves sharing what we have with others. One of the most valuable things we can share is ourselves, our time, our talents, and our energies in serving one another in the body of Christ. Let's look firstly at our mandate to serve. No one ever lived a life of greater service than Jesus himself. And when he, calls, when he calls us to follow him, he calls us to a life of service. When God predestined us to be conformed to the image of Christ, he predestined us to a life of service. And even if in Ephesians 2.10, it says, you know, we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. A, Jesus models servanthood. When Jesus said, the greatest among you will be your servant, he was speaking of himself. Even though he deserved to be served, he modeled a servant's life and attitude for all who would follow him. You see in Philippians 2 that our attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Um, we should have that servant's attitude, like Jesus, who made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Um, that passage there is so powerful, talking about that our attitude should be just like Christ's, and we should really be servants in that way. B, following in his footsteps. We are saved to serve. When we accept the saving benefits of Christ, we also accept the responsibilities of becoming his servant. We embrace Jesus Christ uh, not only as our Savior, we also embrace him as our Lord. We, we recognize the passage in Scripture you know, that says, you know, our lives are no longer our own. We were bought with a price. And... Honor God with your body. That is what we are called to now. We are called to really be his servants, to look at our lives as not our own, but as bought with a price. 
Um, when we serve Christ, we will invariably find ourselves serving his people. And true servanthood is the willful giving of my very self through the expenditure of time, energy, or possessions in order to meet the needs of another as God would direct. Um, Galatians 5.13 is instructive on this point. You, my brothers, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. So we've been set free to serve. And um, it's really a wonderful and beautiful thing to have been delivered from a life of selfish indulgence into a life that is of use now for the kingdom of God. Every Christian, Donald Whitney says, is a servant of God. And servants work. <laughs> they work. And uh, we want to be hard workers, you know, um, in our lives, serving the Lord diligently and passionately. See, the good of servanthood. Everyone involved receives a blessing when we serve. God is glorified as we demonstrate his goodness through our service. The people we serve have their needs met by a caring community. And we who serve receive the blessings of God's pleasure and reap the benefits of faithfulness which God has promised. And finally, the church as a whole grows up as each person serves. And 2 Corinthians 9 says, Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of God's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourself, men will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in that context there, he's talking about uh, financial giving, but it it's also applies you know, to when we give our time and our energy to serving the Lord. Our labor in the Lord is not in vain. And that's a powerful and beautiful thing. And um, in John 17, we see Jesus. He says, I have brought you glory on earth, Father, by completing the work that you gave me to do. Jesus served. He laid down his life on the cross for us. Look at this quote by R.W. Paschal. Service in the Gospels and in the ministry of Jesus takes its starting point from the example of Jesus on the cross. Considering the price he paid, his followers should be willing to serve humbly and care for one another. Properly understood, this is a revolutionary concept. The call to service and love overshadows normal human desires for rank and preference and calls individuals to lay all these aside for the sake of Christ and the needs of others. There can be no doubt that Jesus intended a community of faith to be radically distinct from the world in this regard. Indeed, selfless service and concern for the weak and powerless would prove to be the distinguishing mark of the Christian community and the most tangible and attractive witness to its character and faith. Secondly, how should we serve? In one of his parables, Jesus asked the provocative question, who is the good and faithful servant? And while a servant has many qualities, five stand out. They serve under and unto the Lord. A. 
Jesus' lordship establishes us in a life of service. And when we say Jesus is Lord, we are saying we are ready to serve and obey him whenever and however he may direct. We no longer control our lives and give some time to Jesus and his people. Rather, he controls our living and service. Ultimately then, we must see all our service as being not just to the people served, but to Jesus himself. And um, Ephesians 6, verse 7 talks about, serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not men. And Colossians 3, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. And there should be a real zeal and a passion behind what we do for the Lord. You know, we want to gladly spend and be spent for the souls of God's people, like Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians and in Matthew 25, verse 40, look at this. The king will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did it for me. So we do it under the Lord, but we do it unto the Lord. Um, our lives, we want our lives to be lived for the glory of God and to be focused on bringing Him glory and honor. And you see this principle so often throughout Scripture where you know, it says, you know, wives, you know, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. You know, just these phrases um, like that. And part of it is is because, you know, sometimes, you know, doing the things for the Lord, like, you know, in that case with, um, you know, wives, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. You know, it's not easy all the time to submit to your husband. Sometimes a husband is making a decision that's hard to submit to and get behind, but when a wife submits to her husband as unto the Lord, you know, and makes unto the Lord her focus, she can really trust God that, Lord, I'm I'm putting this into your hand. I'm going to trust you. I'm submitting unto you uh, to this man, and, and I'm going to follow his lead for our family and trust you as you do. And you see that all over the place in the Bible, and um, it's, it's, it's an excellent principle. Donald Whitney says, Serving God is not a job for the casually interested. It's costly service. He asks for your life. He asks for service to him become, to become a priority, not a pastime. He doesn't want servants who will give him the leftovers of their life's commitments. And, and we did. We looked at that a little bit last week in the last session when we, we saw that, you know, a lot of times, you know, people are oriented toward just giving God leftovers. I'll give to God whatever's left. And we don't want to live our lives that way. We want to give God our first fruits. Jerry White says, We find it encouraging to think of ourselves as God's servants. Who would not want to be a servant of the king? But when it comes to serving other people, we begin to question the consequences. We feel noble when serving God. We feel humble when serving people. Serving God receives a favorable response. Serving people, especially from those who cannot repay, has no visible benefit or glory from anyone except from God. I love the way he ends that quote. Um, Servants serve humbly. There's no job too menial for me to do. There's no person too unimportant for me to serve. I'm not serving to be seen or to be praised. I'm not serving to be rewarded. 
It's not a big deal that I serve. Um, all these are the attitudes of a humble servant that are so pleasing in God's sight, having those types of attitudes. Um, Luke 17.10 is a beautiful passage of Scripture. So you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. And that's the mindset we should have. Um, we should willingly lay our lives down and say, you know what, Lord, I'm just doing my duty and I don't expect anything. I don't demand anything. I just love being your servant. And, um, and we know that when we serve the Lord, you know, and you see that in Matthew 6, be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets to be honored by men. I tell you the truth, they have received the reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. And then your Father, who sees what's done in secret, will reward you. The true test of being a servant is that we don't mind being treated like one, Jerry Bridges says. That is a powerful quote. Um, We're all fine with like, yeah, yeah, I'll serve. But when somebody treats us as a servant, all of a sudden, you know, our our pride can kick in. And um, I want to be willing to, Lord, wherever I'm needed, however you want to use me, use me. And... um, to be that type of uh, servant. You know, I, I remember a number of years ago, uh, there was a sister in our church um, who volunteered to clean the toilets at the um, Creation Festival. It's a huge, huge, tens of thousands of Christians gather there each year to worship. And, and the bathrooms there are used by tens of thousands of people. They're just filthy. And this sister was a faithful servant in our local church and served in many ways, but she also was willing to go in and clean the toilets at creation. I've always been so moved by that type of heart. And I want to be like that. I want to say, God, please use me. Use me for jobs that others don't want. You know, I want to have that kind of heart and um, to serve Christ and not have anything kind of be sort of, you know, I'm above that. I, I don't want to do that. Um, and, and that's an important heart for us to have. To serve humbly. See, serve faithfully. Faithfulness is one of the most important and powerful qualities we can have as a servant. To be faithful means that we can be counted on by those who have given us a job. We're reliable, and we can be counted on um, to, be av- to be available to see a job through. To be available means you don't have to be hunted down to serve. Um, it's good to respond when asked. Better to ask what can be done and best to take the initiative and meet the needs without even needing to be asked. And um, that, that's a great heart. To see the job through means, to see the job through means that you do not only start well, but you end well. You see the job through to the end. You are thorough in your work. The job is done right. In 1 Corinthians 4, the principles laid down. Now it is required that those who have been given a trust 
must prove faithful. 2 Corinthians 8, Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your needs. In Proverbs 25, this is a funny verse, like a bad tooth or a lame foot is reliance on the unfaithful in times of trouble. Yeah, I want to be the type of servant that's not like a bad tooth. I want to, I want to be reliable uh, for the Lord. Faithfulness is also the key to greater fruitfulness and responsibilities. Our promotion, for lack of a better phrase, in the kingdom of God is not based on our giftedness or desire, but on our faithfulness with what we have been called to do and with what we've been given. The parable of the talents and the uh, that parable of the talents demonstrates that it's not how much we are given that counts, but what we do with what we are giving, what we are given. Um, and that's the parable where, you know, Jesus says, well done, good and faithful servant. You're, you're faithful. And that's what God commends. It doesn't say, well done, good and successful servant. It says, well done, good and faithful servant. Frederick Robertson writes, it's, it's not the possession of extraordinary gifts that makes extraordinary usefulness, but the dedication of what we have to the service of God. Um, dil- diligently is point D. Uh, diligence is closely related to faithfulness. To be diligent means to work hard, to strive for excellence, to produce to the maximum of our abilities. It results in service that is truly fruitful and God-glorifying. Um, whatever you do, 1 Corinthians 10, 31 says, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Isn't that a great verse? I love that verse. In 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty eight. Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Oh, brothers and sisters, let us give ourselves fully to the work of the Lord, knowing that our labor in the Lord is not in vain. Let's serve Him diligently. Let's serve Him. As Romans twelve eleven says, there never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. I want to be zealous. I want to be on fire. I want to serve Christ with that type of passion and zeal my whole life. And I know you do too. E, in addition to serving diligently, we want to serve generously. God generously gives us gifts and blessings and He desires that we serve others with the same generosity. Our service is not to be sparse and grudging, but lavish and joyous, even sacrificial. Um, in relation to this, Second Corinthians 9 says, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. We want to sow generously when it comes to serving. We want to give our hearts to the Lord in service and sacrifice generously. Uh, Three, we're gifted to give. Um, God not only calls us to serve, 
But he also provides us the means and the gifting to serve effectively. One such means is his word. Paul writes to Timothy that the scriptures help a Christian to be thoroughly equipped for every good work. That's in 2 Timothy 3.16 and 17. Another is gifted leaders who prepare God's people for works of service. That's one of the jobs of of pastors is um, to equip God's people for works of service for his glory. A third is the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit who develops our character to enable us to be useful to the Master and prepared to do any good work. And finally, we have specific gifts given by the Holy Spirit to enable us to serve in a particular area or ministry of the church. These are commonly known as spiritual gifts. A listing of these gifts is found in the addendum at the end of this outline. Let's look at spiritual gifts a little bit. Um, The best explanation we have of spiritual gifts in the scripture is found in Paul's letter to the Corinthians. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12, uh, 1, 4, and 7 says, Now about spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be ignorant. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them in all men. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. We learn four things about gifts from this passage. There are different kinds of gifts, service, and working. We see in Scripture a wide variety of these gifts mentioned. These gifts are given to meet the wide variety of needs found in the church. Uh, These gifts are from the Holy Spirit. They are not just simply natural abilities sanctified, but supernatural abilities from God. That's glorious. Each person has some gift. Some gifts are more public than others. Some will have a greater anointing in a certain gift than others, but, but no one is without gifting. These gifts are also for the common good. The gift is not to glorify the one who possesses it, but to edify the church and the world. Discovering your gifts. Some people find their gift obvious or their gifts obvious. Others struggle to discern what their particular gifts might be. Um, There are generally four ways you can discover what your gifts are. Number one, ask God to show you your gifts. Secondly, be actively involved in serving in the local church. Be available to serve in a variety of different ways. Faithfully attend our care group or small group meetings where ministry is being practiced. Look for areas where you seem to be particularly drawn to or effective or fulfilled in in serving. Ask yourself what motivates you. You know, God often gifts us in areas where we are already motivated to serve or motivates us in areas where he has already gifted us. And four, Confirm um, your gifts with leaders and those who know you best. Um, Ask others what they see as your gifts. Submit yourself to the authority of leaders in the church and let them direct you in the use of your gifts. Um, C, growing in your gifts. Our gifts are usually not fully developed, but grow with use. Um, That's an important principle. Um, you You see that with... Paul just charging Timothy 
you know, fan into flame the, the gift of God, which was imparted to you through the laying on of my hands. He's talking about just, you know, there's a gift development there. Fan it in the flame. And, and that's how we really want to operate as a church, to fan our spiritual gifts into flame so that they become fully developed and fully mature. Um, this growth in gifting is a result of both practice and using the gift and increased anointing from the Spirit as a reward for faithfulness. Uh, one, this is another way uh, to grow in your gift. Just stay close with God. Being close to God increases our sensitivity to the Spirit's leading and using our gifts. Jesus was effective in ministry because he did what he saw the Father doing and said, he said what he heard the Father saying. Secondly, faithfulness. As we have mentioned before, well done, good and faithful servant. That's the, that's the thing that God commends on the day of judgment. Faithfulness with what we already have is the key to further anointing from God. It's that principle in Scripture. If you're faithful with little, you'll be faithful with much. And by correspondence, if, if we're not faithful with little, we'll also not be faithful with much. So, and when you're faithful with little, you'll be entrusted with much. You know, as you, as you prove yourself faithful, you know, it, it just, it's one of those principles where God just adds more responsibility onto you um, and more fruitfulness, really. And it's, it's a beautiful, powerful thing. Uh, three, eager desire. This desire is not so that we can be great, but so that we can glorify God and serve effectively. God rewards those who pursue gifts for these reasons. And in First uh, Corinthians 12 through 14, you know, in a section that talks about spiritual gifts extensively, you know, one of the things that the scriptures say is to earnestly desire, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. Um, we want to not just kind of be haphazard in our pursuit of them. We want, as a church, for us to be stepping out, stepping in to the spiritual gifts that, that God has given to us. God rewards those who pursue gifts for those reasons, to edify and to build up the church. Four, a sense of need. If we do not sense our own weakness in ministry, we will never ask for God's help. Paul realized that his true strength for ministry came from God. A recognition of our own weakness will bring us to the place of crying out for his help and receiving his gifts. Uh, things everyone can do. Um, there are some things that only certain people in the church will be gifted to do, but there are other things that everyone in the church is gifted to do. These works of service ought to be a normal part of our service to individuals, the church, and to the world. Among these are evangelism. This is the first one. Um, evangelism is not a spiritual gift. Um, there is the evangelist that is a gift to the church, to prepare God's people to do the work of evangelism, but everyone is called to be a witness for Christ. You know, regardless of your personality type, God desires for every single one of us to be a witness for him. And as a result, everyone is anointed by the Spirit to be effective as a witness. Each of us must not only be alert for opportunities God gives us to witness, but also to seek out the lost, to tell them about Jesus. Each of us is also responsible to train and motivate ourselves for this greater work. Acts 1, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, 
and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Moving from evangelism, um, we move to giving. Um, and you know, before we move to giving, I think one more word about evangelism. We really do, as a local church, we want to be an army of individuals that are passionate about evangelism. We need to reach the lost with the gospel. It's something that, you know, when we think of service, we want to carry a heart every day to be on the hunt, so to speak, looking for opportunities to, to do good to the lost, to pray for them, to reach out to them, to tell them that you know we're praying for them, to to draw them out about their spiritual condition, to tell them about their need for Jesus Christ, and then to tell them about Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross and dying and rising again for sinners so that if they will repent and believe, they won't perish in hell, but they'll receive the gift of eternal life. And we want to, we want to plead with sinners to, to repent and trust in Jesus, to turn to the Lord. And um, that's something that you know, we want all of us to be highly motivated to do. You know, and that might be an area that's, you know, you look at it and you're like, oh man, I don't know that I'm really good at that. I've never been really good at that. There's, you know, and to that I just want to encourage you, that that's an area that can really grow. You know, we can all relate to that. And, you know, evangelism is one of those areas that, you know, all of us can feel sort of a nervousness about it or a reluctance even in our heart. But we really want to overcome that because we look and we see the eternal condition, the lostness of those who are unbelievers and we want to really appeal to them to repent and believe. Um, and God will help us. He's going to give us the power, like Acts eight says. He's going to empower us by the Spirit to be His witnesses. We want to trust Him and step out in faith and watch God move. Um, be giving. We looked at this a lot in the last lesson, so we won't take too long here, but everyone is called to give financially to God's work. First to the local church and then to other works as God would direct. Um, a tithe or 10% of our gross earnings is a starting place. Um, and, you know, I, I really th- was thinking about this. I, was like, I really want to be the type of Christian that is just growing in my generosity. I don't want to look at the tithe is sort of like, you know, the, the ceiling of like, man, that's all I'm ever going to give in my lifetime. I hope that God will enable me as a Christian to grow and give even beyond the tithe. Um, not just my tithes and offerings, but, but just to, to not just settle for like, okay, you know what, that's all I'll ever give is this sort of the 10%. I, I want to have the kind of heart, I want to grow in giving. And um, I'd love it through the years if, if God provides for to be able to give, you know, way more generously than that. And, um, you know, I laugh sometimes. I think, man, you know, uh, I would love to receive a ton of money from somebody, like in terms of, like, an inheritance or something. It's probably not going to happen. You know, some relative, some distant relative or something had millions and we never knew about it and give it to us, you know, <laughs> upon their death. I mean, any of us would love that, wouldn't we? But, I mean, part of my heart with that is like, oh, Lord, I would so love to just give it away and and be used of you in that way. And, you know, so we're not, you know, most of us are never going to receive an inheritance like that or, or something real big, but you know, we can have a heart with what we're provided for to just give above and beyond and even our tithe for the glory of God. 
And I want to, through the years, I, I want to look at the tithe not as a ceiling to my giving, but as the starting point and, and to, to build from there. That, that's my heart. And I just, I, I just love the Lord and how he, he has changed me because that's not the way I always was. I mean, God has changed my heart with relation to uh, being, just having vision for him, being excited about giving. I used to be so reluctant. <laughs> And didn't really give at all when I was a new Christian, and and now I love giving, and I want to give more, and, and it's just the Holy Spirit's work sanctifying me. But and you know, some of you have seen that in your own life too. And isn't that so awesome of God the way He's changed our hearts? I love that. So Malachi three is just a great passage on uh, tithing as well, um, where the Lord in verse ten says, "Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse." And again, we talked about this last time, that tithe into the storehouse, representing bringing the tithe into the local church in terms of the New Testament, there, uh, that there may be food in my house. And then look at this. this. This is powerful. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields will not cast their fruit. Um, the Lord says, test me in this. There's other places in Scripture where the, it, you know we hear the command, do not put the Lord your God to the test. But when it comes to this area of, you know, hey, give. Give generously. Trust me. Give your tithe. Test me in this. If, if, you're, if you're thinking, yeah, I don't know that God will provide if I do that, test me in this. You know, to step out in faith and really trust God that He's so awesome and so big that these blessings He's talking about here of, uh, verse 11 of just preventing the pests from devouring your crops, you know, will, will come upon you and, and, and God will, God will bless your obedience. And, um, remember, we never receive favor from God because of our obedience. We receive favor from God because of the obedience of Christ. And his death on the cross for us. Um, so we are accepted. We are loved. And that's by grace and grace alone. But you know, our obedience to God really pleases him. Our trusting him and saying, I'm going to test you in this Lord and I'm going to give. And that really honors him. It, it pleases him to do that. And I, I want to, I want to live that way. See personal ministry. Um, and I also, I, I want to obey the, the word of the Lord, um, for his glory. Um, See personal ministry. In the previous lesson, we talked about a variety of ways we are called upon to minister to others. These include comfort, encouragement, correction, counsel, prayer, physical help like meals, babysitting, helping with a home repair or project, etc. Galatians 6.2, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Administrative and physical labor. It takes a lot of manpower to keep a church and its facility up and running. Everyone can help in many ways, and this includes cleaning and maintenance and planning for administrative events, outreaches, service teams, uh, Sunday morning duties like setup, teardown, uh, greeting, ushering, communion, setup and service. And please feel free to talk to one of us uh, as pastors as to how you can serve. Um, there's always a need, um, and we want everybody in our church to be really engaged in serving in our church, um, that we're all playing our part for God's glory. 
um, hospitality, point E. Um, to be hospitable is to be given to generous and cordial uh, reception of guests. It, it, it tends to revive people. It cheers them and it invigorates them. It offers a pleasant or sustaining environment. Hospitality was the hallmark of the early church, and it ought to be the hallmark of the local church today as well. And this would include having people over to our homes for meals or desserts or just for coffee coming up. Um, opening up our homes to guests, reaching out to newcomers to the church, uh, regular greeting of others, etc. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling, First Peter 4, 9 says. And um, the, uh, the aspect there of just opening up your home is opening up your life and, and being a blessing, being a refresher to others. Children's ministry is another way to serve. Um, we want to give our children the very best in supplemental training to reinforce the training that they receive at home and to provide quality care, um, biblical care in a very safe environment so that parents can be free to give and receive what God would have for them without distraction. In, a particular, in particular, parents whose children are served by this ministry should serve in this ministry as either teachers or helpers. Um, we really want to have a heart to love and serve our children. Uh, point four, only one lifetime to serve, and you know this really affects my heart. We have been given only one lifetime here on this earth to serve Jesus here on this earth and the people that he died for and to serve the lost. Let us labor with all of our hearts to live for what really matters and to not fritter away our lives on empty pursuits that will not matter on that final day. Let us not, as John Piper wrote in his book, don't waste your life. Let's not waste our lives. There is a a lost world in need of the gospel. Will we do all we can? B, there's a church that needs you. Imagine our church where each member is serving wholeheartedly within it. That's what we want. I mean, imagine the powerhouse. I mean, it's like the book of Acts. That's what it's like. And we want that. We want our church to be like the church in the book of Acts. Oh, Holy Spirit, make it so. C, a generation unborn that will be influenced. What will we pass on to the next generation? You know, if our example is one of just giving God the leftovers of our lives, we're discipling our kids into that as well. If we're half-hearted, if we kind of think of church as an afterthought, think of the gospel as an afterthought, and don't make Jesus Christ the priority of our life. That's the example we'll be passing on to the next generation. Uh, brothers and sisters, let's not do that. Let the example that we set for the next generation and that we give and pass on to our children and our children's children, let it be one of wholehearted service and devotion to Jesus Christ. Let them see us 
have a spirit of zeal, a burning intensity, living for what really matters, and that is the gospel's advance. Jesus saying, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. Jesus is about building his church. And so let us be about, let us be about what Jesus is about. Let us be highly motivated to bring him glory on this earth and to use this one life that we have to live, to use it all out for his glory. And finally, we have this. D. A Savior. A God. Who is worthy of all that we have and all that we are. Jesus is all that matters. And He is worthy of everything we can give to Him. When we stand before Him and see Him face to face, There's no way that any of us are ever going to feel, I wish I would have given a little bit less to him. But my goodness, as you think of that right now, you just think, Lord, I don't want to stand before you and recognize that I was only half-hearted, that my heart was divided, that I lived more for the here and now than I did for eternity that I didn't live wholeheartedly for you, Jesus, but I lived a life committed to myself. Oh, those of you who are pursuing membership here in our church, we want to be all out, and we want to be all in for your glory. And so, we hope you'll join us in this common mission to exalt and proclaim and enjoy the Lord Jesus Christ. We hope you'll enter into membership with us. And we are so excited about the possibility of setting up a new members interview with you. Contact one of the pastors and let's make sure that we can get that set up. And we'll have our new members Sunday coming up and we'll give you the dates for that. Uh, for the, the date for that where we'll celebrate any, anybody who's going to become a member of the church. We'll celebrate your membership. And I'm just so excited about our future together. So excited about serving Christ with you. Let, let's, let us give him everything that we have because Christ has given us everything that he had. He laid down his life on the cross for us. Jesus, we thank you so much for laying down your life for us on the cross. God, thank you so much for giving all you had. You proved your love for us. You demonstrated it. That while we were still sinners, you sent your son, Jesus, to die for us. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for us. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for opening up our eyes to see our need for Jesus and to see Jesus for who he really is. And Lord, we commit our way wholeheartedly to wanting to follow you and serve you. We love you. In Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, those in the new members class. What an honor and what a joy it's been to go through these lessons together with you. We love you and we look forward to our future with you. God bless you.